0: Our scripture passage this morning is from Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men, and he said to his disciples, Have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so, and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, twelve baskets of broken pieces."
1: I think most people <clears throat> when they read the news or hear the news, uh, usually come away with a degree of kind of a, a a pit in their stomach, kind of feeling bad about what's happening in our culture and our world you, Whatever news reel you you look at, it tends to leave you a little bit depressed Now, I recognize that bad news sells and 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 that's why we hear a lot of it, and there are some things that are going on really well, but, but when you look at the landscape of our life and our culture you know, there tends to be a bit of a depressive response to what's going on. And, you know, we kind of live in this world of, it seems like a world of desolation and and declension and values and and threats and uncertainties and so forth. And, And it does have an impact on our theological understanding of God. Some of us move into a position of Kind of apathy. Well, if God's not going to do anything, then I'm, I probably won't need to do anything either, you know. And whatever, and or some of us move to antagonism. You know, we get a little frustrated with God. We've got all the power. Then why don't you to do something about the place? It's kind of going to ruin. And and so you know, we can tend to move in one of two directions. I, I think that the reading today, this miracle of the five thousand, I think it actually kind of leads us to adoration, leads us to worship. It leads us to a different perspective on how we look at this world you know in this meals with jesus or dining with jesus we we pivot kind of you know in the past two uh passages levi and then simon they hosted jesus but now jesus is hosting them right jesus is the host of this banquet and it's an awful big banquet but it's in a unique place it's out in the wilderness it's out in the desolate wilderness Now, I don't want you to miss some of these things in Scripture. You know, when it talks about desolation and wilderness, it's a theological issue. It's not just a location. It's not just, oh, they're away. No, there's a desolation in which we all live. You know, when you think about Genesis 2, you think about God creating, everything's good, 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 good. It's always good. It's in Genesis 3 that we find out they're away from God now. They're moved away from his presence. And and what do we begin to see in this new environment in which we've been placed? Well, you see the Adam and Eve struggle with conflict, blame shifting, anger, bitterness, hiding, envy, embarrassment, shame. Then you see strife in families, Cain killing Abel. And then you see in Genesis 5, and they died, and they died, and they died. Eight times, and they died. This is a picture of the wilderness. It's, it's a picture of where we live. It's a, it's a picture of our life apart from God. We know this. I, I mean, it, we, we, we try to think that, you know, it's good. Buy t-shirts. Life is good. But all it takes is one call from the doctor, massive economic downturn, marriage going awry, child going off rails, and we begin to realize how actually insecure and how frail we actually are, how weak we are. And it's Jesus meeting them in the wilderness that's really significant here. He, he's going to feed them. He's hosting a banquet in the wilderness. The form of this passage is called a miracle story, because what it's doing is, uh, miracle stories are intended not to show flash and bang, but to show the character of who this Jesus is, so that you're going to read it and say, who is this man? I mean, who who is he? Who is he that he can do these things? That's what it's meant to do. Now, this miracle story is unique in the sense that it's the only miracle, except for the resurrection, that's in every one of the Gospels. It's the only one. And it shows us some unique things about Jesus. It, it shows us that that he... He welcomes us with compassion in the wilderness. He welcomes us with compassion. If you're taking notes, that's the first point we'll cover. He welcomes us with compassion in the wilderness. But secondly, he provides for us with life in the wilderness. That's the second idea, that he's going to provide for us everything we need. This is the kind of man that he is. This is the kind of savior that he is. And thirdly, that he promises a rest to us in the wilderness. Our lives will be lived in the shadow of death, all of us. That's not just when you get cancer. That is life in this world. We live in the shadow of death. We live in desolation. But he will promise us a rest in the midst of this wilderness. So let's look at each one of these. First, that he welcomes us in this wilderness. Look with me at 9 and 10. He says, On their return, the apostles told him all that they had done, and he took them and withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing now let me just give you a little context here he says on their return the apostles told him you haven't read this because we're kind of jumping around luke but prior to this he had sent them out at the beginning of chapter 9 he sent out the disciples to preach the gospel they went out to preach the gospel to heal those who were sick to cleanse those who were demonized. He actually gave them authority. He says, I gave you authority to do this. And so they went forth and they they healed the sick and they cleansed the demonized. This is a big deal. This is their first kind of venture in ministry apart from Christ. And they began to preach the gospel. They were saying that the living God has come among us and he's come to bring peace. He's come to bring grace and to reconcile us to lead us back into the rest that God originally had for us. So this is what they were doing. Now, they're returning home, and they're giving him a deep. They're kind of giving him the blow-by-blow on this is what happened. He's debriefing them. He's training them for when he leaves, and so he's getting a debrief with them. Now, remember, That's why they went away. They went away because they were being pressed. In fact, in Mark's gospel, in Mark's recording of the same event, it says that they were so pressed they didn't have time to eat. You know those days where you have where you just work right through lunch? You work right through dinner, whatever. you, You just keep right on going. And that's what they were doing day after day after day. They were being pressed so much. They were being pressed that they had to get away. And that's why they took the boat. And they went to the other side of the lake. It was a four-mile sail to the other side, Bethsaida, where there was an area that was desolate. It was in the wilderness. It was in the region of that city. It's just a geographical marker. Another reason for us to see this is an eyewitness account. They know where they went. And so they go over there. And 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 Jesus wanted to rest. He wanted to retreat. And talk to them. Just a sidebar, kind of a freebie here. This is part of the reason why we try to honor the Sabbath. We're not Sabbatarians here in terms of keeping strict laws on Sabbath keeping. But you see the need to retreat and reflect on life. We can busy ourselves right through life and never consider the things that we're doing and saying and reflecting to make the pivots that we need to make in life. One New Testament scholar said, I do not know how some Christians can make so little of recollection and retirement. I'm obliged to withdraw myself regularly and to say to my heart, what are you doing? Where are you going? You need those times of, all of us do, we need those times of reflection on what are we doing in life right now? My marriage, my money, my family, my job, my neighbors, my relationship with others what am I doing right now? So, so this is what Jesus was doing. He was going away to rest and reflect on all that God was doing, furthering the training of the disciples. But you notice that it was quickly interrupted, right? Because we read that when they learned where he was going, they went there, and they went there in mass. Luke tells us 5,000 men. Now, th- that word is male. It's not 5,000 humans, but 5,000 men. With it, you'd assume some brought wives, maybe even children. So it's a large group. They're going to pursue him. Now, listen, you know that we live in desperate. Why would close to maybe ten to 15,000 people either make an eight-mile journey around the northern tip of the Sea of Galilee or sail four miles across to find him? They're desperate. I mean, these are people who are they're sick, they're tired, they're hungry, they're living a difficult life. That's why they're coming after him. I mean, that's a massive amount of people to pursue one man. And so they, they come upon him. But I want you to see what Jesus does. He welcomes them. He welcomes them with compassion and tenderness. Can you imagine how tired he was? The people fatigue people person after person, one problem, next problem, next problem, next problem. Preaching, teaching, healing. And he welcomes them, each one. He doesn't rebuff them. He he doesn't turn them away. He doesn't get upset. He doesn't say, I need me time. He doesn't say that. He he just welcomes them. I mean, you you know, look at our own lives for a minute. When you're having a trial in life, it's easy for you to say, "I, I can't serve you right now. I mean, don't you see what I'm in? I'm in trouble right now. I can't make a meal for so and so. Or we have some other, we hear bad news, bad news. And, and we say, Can't you see I'm grieving? I, I, I mean, you expect me to go and fulfill this ministry or do this or do that? I mean, you can just imagine all it, our suffering is like a get out of service card, and we just get to play it. I get to get out of service. Now, I didn't tell you. But Jesus just wasn't people fatigued and ministry fatigued. Prior to this passage, John the Baptist, his cousin, had his head taken off by Herod. You now He loved John. He appointed John for that role. He's a cousin. His family just died. And Not just that, but, <clears throat> but that also showed what Jesus then was going to be. And yet he still served. He welcomes us with compassion. You're saying, what kind of man is this? unique in every way what kind of man is this that would be so compassionate and but he doesn't just welcome them he begins to cure them he heals them can you imagine the problems in this kind of you now we live in a highly medicalized world they didn't have that so i mean sores and limbs broken and blindness and deafness and and, and weak limbs and paralysis headaches, eye issues, ear issues. They're all coming to him. And he takes each and every one of them and he heals them. I mean, each and every one. The body's important, friends. We don't want to over-spiritualize our our union with God and and forget that the body is significant. Uh, One was prepared for Jesus, and this is the one that we've been given. So Jesus is honoring that, and he heals every one of them. But you know he does more than that. Notice it says he preaches the kingdom of God to them. Think about it. Even if you were sick and you were healed, you'd still need another healing. You know, we live in a desperate world where problems come one after another, and if it's fine now, it won't be in one or five or ten years. And to heal a person is just to require a further healing. Why? Because healing's just we live in we live in the wilderness, right? Death looms over us. That's the problem. It's not just the healings, it's the death. And so Jesus knows that simply healing will not solve the problem. It won't fix the problem of the wilderness. The wilderness is marked by death. Death is a problem. So Jesus begins to preach the kingdom of God. He begins to preach that the living God is among them, the Messiah, the one who has come to bring freedom for captives, hope for the despairing, Forgiveness for the morning. This is the message of Jesus Christ. He's come to heal not just the body, but the soul. I mean, it's amazing to think, uh, you know, in Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel gives some more details on this passage than Luke does. But Mark's gospel in 634, he says, And when Jesus saw the multitudes, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And so he began to teach them many things. Have you ever seen that? Do you see teaching as compassionate? We, we think of other things. Teaching is necessary, but we don't usually define it as compassionate. But it says he had compassion on them, and he began to teach them many things. Why? Because healings aren't enough. I mean, we need to know the reality of a holy God and how we rightly relate to him so that we will be brought forth out of the wilderness and will have a spirit in it. You saw this in the paralytic. When the man is lowered through the roof and Jesus looks at him and he's on, a, he's on a mat and his four friends are lowering him, Jesus says, the first thing he says, your sins are forgiven. Now, folks, he, he, they're thinking, you're not reading the room, Jesus. I, I mean, really, can't walk. Just a heads up, that's what the problem is. Jesus says, it's not. That is a problem, no doubt, but it's it's he was unreconciled to God. He came in faith. He's now reconciled to God. And by the way, you can walk. But one day he's still carried to the grave. So so do you see this compassion? He welcomes us with compassion, teaching us about the kingdom of God, knowing the right order of what our needs are, not just fixing our lives, because we live in a wilderness in a desolation, and so lives are going to continually go awry, it, it, continually and eventually. So, so when, you, when you see Jesus, do you see him as someone that would welcome you if you came to him? You know, it's the wilderness that he meets him, he meets him there. He joins with us in the wilderness. He doesn't call us to a to a, you know, a pristine throne room. He comes in flesh and blood like us, enters the weakness of humanity, and he meets us to welcome us with compassion. And, and he needs to be here. I mean, think about this for just a minute. You know, the wilderness is what strips us of our sense of sufficiency. The wilderness strips us Of our sense of security and power, our independence. It's when you get the call. It's when you lose the job. It's in the wilderness we begin to see this is who we really are. We're really quite frail. And it's then that we're not to try to prop up and put up the false facades. It, it, it's not then. You know, normally we go into autocorrect, and we go into self-protection and, and self-promotion. No, it's then that we just go to Christ, and we just ask for help, as opposed to try to prop up the, you know, on false stilts to get taller, and it, somehow we're better. It, it's in the wilderness that, that we want to in, accept and embrace our frailty, because he welcomes us. Do you see that about this man, that he would walk? He stands ready to welcome you. I I pray you don't neglect, even now, that he would welcome you. Whatever desolation you're in, some of you are in some personal desolations. You're you're feeling the wilderness very acutely right now. It may be family, it may be finances, it may be relationships. It may be just your own sense of I can't stop looking at pornography or I can't stop turning to food or alcohol or I can't let go of the bitterness. Uh, Do you sense the desperateness? You know, don't just look at your life at a physical level, but let's go down a little bit deeper. The thoughts that you have, the anger, the bitterness, the resentment, the jealousies, the constant sense of insufficiency. And, And could you go to him? Even now, just Jesus, accept me, take me, help me. You know, Henry David Thoreau said, All men lead lives of quiet desperation. We all do, because we live in a wilderness. What are you going to do with this? So he's meeting you in the wilderness. What do you do? JC Raw gives us constant encouragement in his comments. He says, "Let us remember this in all of our dealings with Christ about our own souls. We may draw near to him with boldness, open our hearts to him with confidence. He is the savior of infinite compassion and loving kindness. He will not break the bruised reed, he will not quench the smoking flax. The secrets of our spiritual life may be such as we would not have our dearest friends know. The wounds of our consciences" may be deep and sore and require most delicate handling, but we not need fear anything if we commit all to Jesus, the Son of God. We shall find that his kindness is unbounded, unbounded. So friends, just invite you to the one who is full of compassion and meets us in the wilderness. That's the first thing we see here. He welcomes us in the wilderness. Secondly, we see that he provides for us in the wilderness. This is beautiful. Look with me at 12 to 16. Now the day began to wear away, and the 12 came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. But he said to them, You give them something to eat. They said, We have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. There were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples just up before the crowd. Okay, This is where it gets, I think, really quite interesting. I mean, take a, take a gander just at these disciples for a minute. I mean, it says the day's wearing on and they're wearing out, no doubt. You know, they are just tired, plumb worn out. And, and what are they going to do? Uh, maybe they came with great motives to Jesus. Hey, we're looking to add Jesus, and they're getting hungry, and it's getting dark, and we got to do something with these people. Uh, or, or maybe they came with some degree of resentment, and frustration. Said Jesus sent them away. Listen, all day long, nobody's leaving. Nobody's leaving. They're hungry. They're in a desolate. Nobody's leaving Jesus. I mean, you may have a, a concert or some sort of. We, there are 5,000 people there, and then, you know, three hours later, there's 3,000 people there, and then a few more hours, there's 1,000. Nobody was leaving. Why? Because of the teaching, because of the care and the ministry. And so they say they're confronted with this situation. They're his disciples. They just came back from their mission trip. And what's their suggestion to this problem? Send them away. Send them away. Let them go to the towns, you know, but but we can't take care of them here, so send them away. And what does Jesus do to that? I mean, Jesus says, you give them something to eat. Now, that wasn't a suggestion, that was a command, and you is emphatic. So in the order of a Greek sentence, they'll put certain words in the front of the sentence to really emphasize it. So when you're reading it, you give them something to eat. So Jesus is turning on them and saying, you do it. Now maybe there's a degree of sarcasm. They said, "Well, we got five loaves and two fish, as if that's going to scratch the itch, right?" Or, or or even this idea that they can go to surrounding towns, or even other gospels that says, "You know, we can go buy food for them or send them." This was an agrarian society. They didn't have an infrastructure with hotels and restaurants. You know, sometimes a convention can come to a town and they can't handle them because they don't have the restaurants and the hotels for them. It's a, it's a silly suggestion. Why would Jesus ask him? Why would Jesus say, you give them something to eat? Well, John 6 tells us that he was testing them. He wanted them to see that they're looking at the problem and not at Jesus. Jesus. He wants them to see their absolute insufficiency. He wants them to see their inability. But that doesn't matter. They need to see it, but it doesn't stop the service. Guess what Jesus does. He says, you set them in groups of 50. Probably a little reminiscent of how Israel gathered around the tabernacle in the wilderness. Because remember, they're in the wilderness. So you begin to get, let, let your mind drift back to the wilderness. They're gathered in groups of 50. But can you imagine, the disciples, what they were thinking? What's he going to do? we got him in groups of 50. Big deal. Can you imagine the tension mounting? And then what does Jesus do there? He takes the bread and he gives thanks to God. Just one more sidebar for the day. We often pray for God to bless the food. The food is blessed by God because it's food. He's made it. He causes the grass to grow. We bless God as the giver of the food. So he prayed this prayer. Blessed be you, O Lord, our God, King of the earth, who causes bread to come from the earth. Can you imagine? He takes the bread, and he lifts it up, and he gives thanks to God. And can you imagine when he prayed that prayer? I don't know, perhaps all the 5, 10, 15,000, amen. Yeah, that's what they would pray each night. Blessed are you, Lord God. And so Jesus takes the bread, he lifts it up, he gives thanks and he breaks it, and then he gives it to his disciples. The tense of that verb is that he gives it, and gives it, and gives it, and gives it. Can you imagine they come back and they get more basket, another basket full? It's multiplying in his hands. It's just being produced. Your mind goes back, if you will, to God giving bread from heaven. Here the living God is among them giving bread to all the people, basket after basket after basket. So little. You know, if this were a fable, you can imagine this would have just been amplified. But he says it so simply. Simply, he lifted up the bread, gave thanks, broke it, and distributed it to his disciples. That's it. Who saw it? I don't know. The disciples were running just from group to group to group. He's giving it to them. It, he's creating it out of nothing. Ex nihilo, Literally out of nothing. Just, just giving bread. I mean, I, I can't even imagine what it would be like. sheer Sheer glory right there before them. Just like God gave bread from heaven, the Son of God now giving bread in the desert, same place. It it really shows us Jesus as the shepherd. You know, a passage of Scripture we don't often turn to, to to see Jesus clearly is Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34, God has chided the leaders of Israel for failing to shepherd the people. And God says in the second half of the chapter, He says, I'm going to shepherd you. I will shepherd you. And this is what he says in 34. He says, I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them and he shall feed them and be their shepherd. Now, the only snag about this is Ezekiel is a couple hundred years past David. So who is this David that he's speaking of? It's the son of David, Jesus Christ, son of Abraham, son of David. So here Jesus is walking out his role. He's fulfilling the promise of God. My shepherd will feed you. And Jesus is feeding them. It's incredible to think about Jesus in this way. Do you see Him as sufficient for all of your needs while you're in the wilderness? I mean, do you see Him that way? Have we lost a wonder over who is this man? I, I, I mean, you think about God in Genesis 1, Let there be light, and there is light. Jesus brings forth bread, he creates matter out of nothing. I, I mean, he brings things to be that are not. He, he calls into existence things that are not. He speaks and it happens. He promises and it's fulfilled. I mean, I mean this is Jesus Christ that we're being introduced to. I mean, it's, he, he gives life to our dry souls. He wakes us up. To himself. I mean, friends, if you're here and you're not a Christian or you're not sure where you are, this is the Jesus that we come to in faith and repentance. This is the one that we come to, seeking a peace and a rest in the midst of this wilderness. It was it was this one that said, Come to me, all you who are labored and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. I'll feed you. And 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 for the for the Christian, even the straits that you're in right now, and the despair that you're fighting, this is the one that we appeal to. This is the one that we ask for grace, that we come to faith. The disciples didn't think he, they looked at the problem, but they didn't look at the person. And and we've got to stop looking at the problem and start looking at the person. Now This doesn't mean that he's some kind of He's some sort of genie in a bottle that you kind of rub and he comes out and fixes the problem. But he he will either meet us in the wilderness, he'll deliver us through the wilderness, he'll remove us from the wilderness. It really can vary. But he's there with us, welcoming us with compassion and power. I Hope this is how you see him. Because this is how he is revealing himself. Miracle stories are for the intent for us to see the character and nature of Jesus. It's not you know, a solution to our problems. It's a display of the person who will lead us. But I I would just draw one more more takeaway out of this. He uses ordinary men and women to do this. You you see, that's the point of involving the disciples. He says, you give them something to eat. Uh, He gets them. They are the ones that bring the little, the poultry amount of food that he uses they distribute it. They collect it. In other words, he's using them to do his work. He takes what we have as as small and as inadequate as it is, and he accomplishes what we can't do. But he uses us. This is incredibly both, it's sometimes intimidating what he asks us to do, but it's intoxicating that he would actually involve us in his process so that we are part of this expanding kingdom. Do you realize he uses what you have, even though you feel like you're so inadequate? He uses your inadequacy to show you his sufficiency. That's why he draws us into deeper waters that we don't think we can swim in. Alexander McLaren, Scottish preacher, said, it's often our God-given duty to attempt tasks to which we are conspicuously inadequate in the confidence that he who gives them has laid on us the drive to drive us to himself where there or where to find sufficiency. The best preparation of his servants for their work in the world is the the discovery that their own stores are small. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do. ask you to just attempt something this week that you feel like it's a little bit out of your reach it may be sharing the gospel with someone at the office and and you've always said well i don't have all the answers i could ask a question i don't i'm not a great apologist i don't speak well on these things would you just entrust yourself to him so instead of the disciples saying oh we only got five loaves and two fish and we can't feed everybody, but they get fed by Jesus. Can we take our inadequacy in terms of our evangelistic skills? Can we just share the person, share the gospel of somebody maybe that we feel inadequate with? Or, or maybe it may be serving somebody. Right now you're in dire straits. You're, you are in difficulty, you're mourning, you're suffering, there's some issue. and, and you're just focused and, you, and and you can't think of serving another in your own pain. Can I ask you to consider that? To consider serving somebody, even though you may be wounded right now. Or listening to somebody that you've been listening to. Or, or or making a meal for somebody, even though you're struggling. Or perhaps giving in a way that extends you beyond what you've... I can't afford that. I mean, attempt something that puts you in this position. You know, there's a, a point, there's a string in, in ministry sometimes... We say in ministry, as a lot of folks say, it comes in threes. You know, there's one crisis, and then another crisis, and then another crisis. And it leaves us feeling like, Lord, uh, we're outgunned, we're outmanned. We, we don't have a chance. But, but it's him putting us in the position so we find his sufficiency. But if you never extend yourself beyond what your hand can reach, guess what you're never going to discover? In, in real flesh and blood terms, his capacity to use inadequate people to do extraordinary things. And that's what the call is. God is going to upend this world and he's going to upend it by inadequate people doing extraordinary things. And it will be for his glory and it will be for our joy. So, so let's, let's try to, and what I would ask you to do is think of something over the next day, attempt it and tell some member of this church what you did do just as a measure of accountability. So we see here that he meets us in the wilderness to welcome us with compassion. He provides. He can provide. I wonder if many of us have never seen such unique provision because we just haven't extended, we haven't gone after something beyond our own hand. I I wonder if we've only lived within our comfort bubble, and that's why we haven't seen these kind of unique, wow, I was able to do that kind of thing. Okay, thirdly, he promises us rest in the wilderness. And this you find, I think, in 17, he says, And they all ate and were satisfied, and what was left over was picked up, twelve baskets of broken pieces. This is kind of a, it feels like a bit of a thud to an epic miracle. It just kind of, it just ends, yep. And they were satisfied, and there's a bunch left over. I mean, this is an incredible miracle. And the discretion... And the the brevity with which our gospel writers write these, it's really almost, it almost re-engages you more than if it got this flowery treatment. They were satisfied. They were full. Can you imagine agrarian people living hand to mouth? Their bellies are full. Food had to be delicious. And I say that only because in John 2, the wine that Jesus made was better than the wine that they were drinking. So I imagine here the bread. And remember when he made the bread and the fish, it was baked. And the fish was cooked. So, so, I mean, this is the capacity of Jesus. And it was better. And they were full. They were satisfied. They were content. Their bodies were healed. I mean, can you imagine the joy that they had? But, but not just that. Notice the last piece. And there were 12 basketfuls. Again, another eyewitness detail that affirms the veracity of scriptures. It wasn't 11 baskets. It wasn't 13 baskets. It was 12 baskets. If it was a fable, it would have been there were many leftovers. But no, the specificity, there are 12 baskets. And if someone would draw a connection between 12 baskets and 12 apostles, and other preachers can spin more yarn with that stuff than I can, I just think it really shows a divine generosity. I mean, here it is. He fills us and he satisfies us. And you know what? There's 12 baskets left over. How many times do we think God is stingy with his grace? Sometimes we think he's doling out grace. It's like it's costing them, you know, okay, I'll give you some more again, you know. No, he is generous. He's kind. This is the God we have. Week after week, you know, your minds move in a certain direction, and yet here the Word is bringing you back to a proper understanding. He's a generous God that gives excess. So when Jesus was giving them rest, what kind of rest do you think He was giving. Because you know, this rest and comfort, they'd be hungry again in another six hours. See, I think this is a foretaste, just like a lot of the miracles. All the miracles in the Bible aren't, aren't kind of just, wow, look at that power. He's showing us a picture of a kingdom to come. All the miracles are doing that. Sight for the blind, hearing for the deaf cleansing for the demonized. They're all showing us of an age to come that is like Eden, but better. That's what the miracles are for, not just to display that the presence of God is among the people. It was to evidence the character and the person of Jesus, but it was also to, no, this is what we have coming. An age where there'll be no more death, dying, pain, mourning, tears will be wiped away. That it, this is what it's, so I think this meal is a foretaste for that because you know they'd be hungry again. In fact, I think, it, I think this banquet in the wilderness is actually pointing to another banquet. And that banquet will be, it's spoken about in Isaiah 25, on this mountain. This is a banquet that we are to be looking forward to. On this mountain, The Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he, he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, The veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. The reproach of his people. He will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in salvation. Do you see the banquet that he's providing in the wilderness is pointing to the banquet that is? we have waited for him. We knew he was going to do it. We've waited for him, and now he's done. And he's swallowed up the key ingredient of the desolation in the wilderness in which we live, which is death itself. Swallowed it up. It's gone. Wipe away all tears. No more mourning. And, and, and this banquet, the invitation is free. He says later in Isaiah, he says, Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Not eat that your soul may live, but hear Hear the gospel that Jesus Christ has come, the Messiah, to save. He's the one. So so this banquet is pointing to that future banquet. But how are we going to get there? What is going to bring it? Well, remember, this banquet pointed to a final rest that he's going to give to us. But how will he achieve it? Well, you see the answer around yet another meal, don't you? You know, think about it for a minute. This group wouldn't have known it. But go with me to the Last Supper when Jesus was at the table with his disciples. What does he do? He takes bread, he gives thanks, he breaks it, and he gives it to his disciples. Folks, nobody would have known the disciples would have made the connection. The disciples would have said, that's exactly what he did in the desert. That's what he did in the wilderness. By the way, in Greek, it's the same order and it's the same words. So those disciples would have seen when he lifted up the bread, he gave thanks and he broke it and gave it to his disciples and all the people were fed. And then he does it regarding his own bearing of our sin. In other words, they got it. The broken bread is his broken body carrying our sins, our shame, our guilt. He's going to bring us to that final rest through himself. It's going to be through Christ himself laying down his life, broken body, shed blood, bearing the wrath of God, that we might be reconciled to God through faith. They would have seen that, were to see the connection right now. Now listen, they didn't pick it up because in John's gospel, the day after this miracle, they ask him for more bread. In John 6, they say, give us more of this bread. They come to Jesus. And here's what he says. Don't labor for bread that perishes, but for food that endures to eternal life. Isaiah 55, which the Son of Man will give you. He says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall never hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So Jesus, hosting a banquet for thousands of people, pointing to a final banquet, a final rest, that rest comes through faith in him. And faith in Him alone. Think about how we strive for contentment, happiness, and satisfaction in life. We pursue it through relationships. We pursue it through new things. We pursue pursue it through our bucket lists or our new experience or new, 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 new. And and, you know, we're constantly just like you know, like following the stick, you know, pulling the carrot. We're just kind of bouncing along, never satisfied, never full. But but the fullness and the satisfaction and the rest that He promises us is knowing Christ. Friends, I I pray you know Christ. I I, I pray even, even now turning to Christ. And for those of you who know him, turn to him and thank him. Be grateful. He has given, he by his own laying down of his life, body broken like bread broken, has made it so that now we can live in that wilderness right now and we can be happy people because we have a banquet that is coming. So friends, let me give you let me give you three charges to consider, just three. Number one would be, number one would be a, a warning of callousness to the brokenness of our world. Let us not be callous to the brokenness of the world. We don't want to just say, you know what, they made their bed, let them lie in it. No, no, no do not succumb to the callous. We're overwhelmed by the the difficulties of this world. We don't want to be callous to it. We want to be like Ebenezer Scrooge. Remember he said, if the poor are going to die, they better do it and decrease the surplus, surplus population. Be done with them. That's what people, they can get callous to the brokenness of our world. May we not be that way. Jesus welcomes us with compassion, Friends, many of us are struggling. You're going to be put in the context this week to serve. Welcome people with compassion, with a listening ear, with a kind heart. Do not be callous to the world. But at the same time, at the same time, don't be overwhelmed by it. I mean, the disciples were overwhelmed. Send them away. We can't do anything for them. Let's not be overwhelmed by it because we have one who is sufficient. So I don't know. I'm going to trust the Spirit of God to lead into your lives this very week an opportunity to walk out the text of this scripture. And so what is compassion going to look like? Uh, Secondly, I would say that consider offering grace or hospitality to someone in the next few weeks around your table. We're doing this dining with Jesus So that we're learning how to minister and speak redemptively around a table with food that we can find out about people's faith. Folks, I know this is going to be a stretch for some of you. I'm just going to ask you to look to the sufficiency when you identify your own insufficiency. But you invite someone over. How long have they been in the faith? What has been their experience with God? How are they struggling? How are they succeeding? That You're talking to them. You're encouraging them. Let me pray. If they bring up a problem, let me just pray right now. God have mercy on them and pray in accordance with what they've just shared with you. But let's engage. Let's extend ourselves. I know you guys can't do it. I can't do it. People come to me. I had a number of phone calls this week. I had three calls in a row. And, and one was worse than the next. And I, you know what I did? I called Carol. I said, you've got to pray for me. I'm outgunned. I, I got nothing. I got nothing. But they all came within 12 hours. Boom, boom, boom. Just take the breath away. So God, you've got to do it. You, Jesus is sufficient. So, and so you, you move forward. Trusting that he's going to give whatever is needed. But he'll know. And he's sufficient. He can create matter. And that was just to feed them, let alone take care of their souls. So, so attempt around a table of food. And then thirdly, let's look forward to this banquet. I mean, we, we don't want to become callous to the wilderness. We don't want to be overwhelmed by it. But you know what? As the years press on, we're tired of it. And we know if there's, there's a better banquet coming, and I want it to come. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. And I want to look forward to it with you. I want to be those pilgrims that are never satisfied on the journey, they're always got a little bit of hunger. I, I, I want where we're going. And, and, and there's that hunger that we want. So, so let's pray toward that and Let's take a moment now and ask God for grace that we might walk in this week as if our Savior has this kind of glory. And then I'll pray for us.